You're listening to the Tilehurst End Podcast by Reading fans for Reading fans. Welcome to the Tilehurst End Podcast, the podcast by Reading fans for Reading fans. I'm Mark Mayo. Joining you today for a bit of a midweek special, we have got Luke Anthony, the former fitness boffin of Reading Football Club 2007 to 2015. Luke, it's a pleasure to have you on. We've got, I mean, such a long time at the club, plenty to talk about. A fitness boffin probably wasn't your exact job title, was it? No. um, When I joined the club, I was first team physiotherapist um, and then I became head of medical a a couple of years later on. So, um, yeah, that was my sort of official titles. Great. So you were, I mean, so was that entire period fans... Obviously, no physios, generally speaking, as the guy who runs onto the pitch while a player is down. For was that your were you doing that for the entire duration at the club or just at the start? No, so when I joined in 2007, John Fern was the head of medical services then. Uh, he left to go to Chelsea uh, about three years after, I think. And so that was his job was the sort of the, the, the lead physio up until that time. Um, so yeah, so I sort of, I guess, started doing the the the, the day-to-day pitch work from from that 2010 onwards for about sort of five five seasons after that. Yeah, I was actually going to ask about John Fern because you came into the club. Um, he's now at Chelsea and is very highly regarded from what I know of the physio footballing world. How was it um, you came into the club working under someone who obviously very highly regarded and everything? How was it um, as you joined the club and started getting settled in working with, the, uh, with John Fern and people? Yeah, so I'd known John for a while. I was... Um, my previous job, I was working in rugby, Gloucester Rugby, and prior to that, I was head of medical at Watford Football Club. So I've known John, you know, professionally for a number of years. Um, and then he asked me to, to to sort of come on board with the with the team in 2007. And uh, it was great. Yeah, working with him, fantastic. Um, he's, you know, an exceptional physiotherapist. And that's why he went to Chelsea and had such a good career since then. Yeah, for sure. So, what what state was the club in when you got to it? As you worked elsewhere, as you say, Watford and yeah. and uh, and Gloucester Abbey and stuff. What was the the position of kind of the medical facilities and how how Reading was positioned, kind of in the the spectrum of clubs in terms of you know being up with the times in, in that sense. Yeah, I think you know sports medicine in football has changed a lot. People talk about you know big changes in the last few years, but and when I first started in 1998, you know I was one of two physiotherapists within the whole club. There was no fitness coach. You didn't have you know a goalkeeping coach. It was it seems like a long time ago now, um, and things obviously change you know year by year. So I think you know I came into a good club. Reading was a you know was a good club. It was the second year in the Premier League season. That obviously you know had some investment in the club over the the previous years, dealing with a high quality you know group of players in that Premier League. Um, so you know I was fortunate to come into the club into a into a good state how was it as a as a club in general as you say in the premier league at that time it was very exciting what was the what was the vibe and mood and and you know as you, as a new person getting involved how kind of welcomed and everything did you feel from kind of day one yeah no very much so it was an interesting time at the club because it was a, it was the club's second year in the premier league and obviously had that fantastic promotion season an exceptional season first year in the premier league and I sort of joined, it was the same group of players, same manager, same group of staff and players who, who'd done so well with the, with, with, uh, with the team over the years. But, um, that it was a tough season, actually. Um, we started reasonably well and we hit a bad patch, I think, just after Christmas and then ended up being in that relegation mix and relegated, you know, on that last game of the season away at Derby on goal difference, which was, uh, which was a real tough time, real low moment, actually. Um, so it was it was interesting because obviously the same group of players, but just 
you know, it, it was a tough time results-wise, but was certainly a tough time in, in, in that season. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember being in the, in the stands at Derby and everything around that. And I suppose, I mean, our interest is, is Reading your club. What, what um, is? Do you have um, a team? No, not 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 by background. I grew up in, with a family of Tottenham Hotspur supporters, generations of, of Spurs fans. So, um, but it's funny. And then when you work in football, you sort of lose that. You become a you know really an armchair supporter of, of football. You're with the yeah. club that you're with. So whether it was Watford or Gloucester or Reading or Norwich, that's your team and that's who you're behind. But I'm back in the area now, and um, actually we have the season tickets now. So I, I take my children up, and we still go to most games. So um, yeah, I, I'm yeah probably as much as anyone a, a fan of the club now. Oh great! Well, I, it's interesting as well when you talk about like the derby game and stuff like that. Where in terms of like the medical team and stuff, how kind? Of, I know you're obviously integrated and everything, but where do you kind of you know? Let's say we've just been relegated. Do you do you then as a group of physios and stuff then? have a little chat amongst yourselves or are you kind of just in amongst everything you know almost a little clique as it were or are you just so integrated with the squad and everything that you're just kind of all talking about it and all feeling it together yeah I, I remember it I mean sitting in that you know Derby dressing room I've been that, to that ground a number of times and and it was it's tough you sort of sit in your sit in your corner everyone's very quiet no one really says anything and um you know you feel that whole despondency everyone in that whole dressing room feels it you know it's it's tough for everyone at the club whatever your job is you know obviously player coaching staff medical staff whatever your job at the club is you you sort of do live and die by results and 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 how well the football club is doing will sort of dictate you know how well your job is going and how how much you're sort of uh you know enjoying yourself so it was it was yeah it was definitely a, a tough moment for everyone on that side of it but i guess the same as everything else you've got you know your job to do you sort of look after the players same as you would after any other game and you know you head into an off season and you have your review and dust yourself down and get ready to go again the next year yeah for sure and I wonder you said about going to Pride Park is, are there any grounds that you visited over the years that you thought oh this is amazing this is real high quality stuff and actually some you went to and thought god this is like you know being in being back in kind of club rugby and, and <laughs> not, not back in the 90s sort of thing no, I think, I mean, you know, I've been fortunate all my career. I've worked in the top two divisions and you go to all those clubs and there's not many bad ones around now. There was a few that were tough in, you know, previously you went to the old Rotherham ground or, you know, Valley Parade when we went there in a the cup at Bradford. And there's a couple that aren't so good, but generally speaking, you know, they're much of a muchness and, you know, the Premier League grounds are, the away dressing rooms are never anything special. They're sort of fairly, fairly plain, um, but they're functional and, yeah, it's you know, I, I, it's it's interesting because when you first start, my first few years, you're traveling around to these grounds. You know, you go to Anfield and Old Trafford and all these places. is fantastic. This is you know, it's unbelievable. And that's one thing. As you get older, and as you've seen it, you know, a number of times, and you know, those trips on the road, they they lose a little bit of their luster over the years. Um, and once you've seen them, you know, you, it's they sort of can blur a little bit in in into one. Um, but yeah, no. In answer to your question, nowadays in terms of like the big grounds, there's no there's no bad grounds now. Um, so no, for sure. Yeah, definitely. So you came in then working uh, under Steve Coppel, of course, was the manager when you started. How how close are you to the managers then? Do you spend, you know, do you have kind of a weekly meeting and catch up or are you just kind of dropping in bits of information here and there? Because there are quite often, I've read and stuff that you won't necessarily always have perfect like if there's a very minor issue that a player has that might not always necessarily get to the manager to kind of say oh this player's got a little issue or something is it a case that you kind of 
you know, how, how close are you to the managers when you're working with them? Um, so, as, as I said, when, when I first joined, John was the, the head of medical. And um, so I had a little bit less link with, with someone like Steve at the time. Um, but afterwards, in the, with the managers that I worked with afterwards, um, so from from Brendan and Brian and um, Nigel, Steve, yeah, you work very closely. Um, you have a meeting every day, um, every morning before training starts. So you have a sort of roundup of who's training, who's not training, where people are. Um, you'll probably have another conversation. You'll share an office, so you'll probably have another conversation later on in the afternoon uh, about where everyone's at. Um, and you spend a lot of time together informally, whether it be at lunchtime or on the coach going to a game or in a hotel. So there is a lot of communication there from that point of view. Um, and different managers, will, you know, like information in different ways. So some will want to know as much as every, you know everything that you can tell them about every niggle, every knock. Um, others less so. You know, they don't really want to be bothered by things that aren't necessarily going to be be relevant but um no but that communication is really important i think it's it, it, it's crucial that everyone's aligned manager player you know medical staff you know it, it's it's so important that that alignment is right and i think that's when things can start to break down when either the communication or the um or, or you know the sort of views on that side sort of slightly differ yeah, were there any times when that when that happened then? Because um, I mean, I imagine someone like Rogers is going to be very, particularly at the time, would have been very modern. Maybe someone who wanted to know everything and all the detail and stuff. And and then you've also got someone like Brian McDermott, who I can imagine. I mean, he's just generally speaking a, a kind of great guy to be around and everything. So perhaps e- very easy to deal with as a physio. Was there any times when you found that the communication was kind of difficult? I think you know Brian's a good example, really. So he would be very open with me. We you know talk through the week in terms of he'd know the team that he wanted to 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 put out that weekend. So if you had a player who was maybe not quite right, needed a bit more time, you know he would be very open to that and said, "Well, look, I don't need him this week, but I really could do with him next Saturday." So you know you know you have the whole week to say, "Well, look, we can just work on this now. Work on this injury." Don't have to worry about pushing for a game on the weekend and look to drop him back into training next week. And and it generally works well. Um, but he, he may equally say, look, I need this, you know, this player for this weekend. So whatever we can do. And, you know, you sort of push and on that side of it. And, you know, there's always risk when players come back from injury. There's always a risk that they'll break down. Um, but at the same time, you can't you know, take forever. It's professional sport. So these players are paid to play, uh, paid to play um, and you need your best players out on the weekend. So there's a, there's pressure sort of either way. Um, but Brian was, Brian was good with that. Other managers will be less communicative and, and that's, that can be an issue because, you know, you'll, you'll push your player because he will sort of intimate that he wants a player for the weekend and you'll push hard with that player, get to the weekend and then the player's not even in the squad. Uh, you know, then you've got a double issue because you push the player hard. He's sort of not happy with you, and then you've got to go again next week. And um, you can sometimes be a bit in the middle of those things, and that's where that communication with the manager really helps. And um, you know, I've, throughout my whole career, really, I've worked generally with excellent managers, really, really good managers who were good to work with. Um, but occasionally, you know, it's tough. And I, I, listen, you know, managers, it's a, it's a, it's a tough job. So. Um, you know, but it, but that communication, you know, is 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 really important. So having that and uh, being able to sort of plan and and it's and it creates well, I, th- I think you know it helps to create that 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 success. And I think you know the the, the success that Brian had, really, the communication he had with the whole of the staff, um, you know, was really sort of important on that on, on that side. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you left the club in 2015 as well, which was before we kind of got into this semi era that we're kind of still in of 
a different manager every year or even two different managers a year. And I can imagine that must be much more difficult when you're changing constantly. I mean, towards the end of your time, um, we'll come back and talk about the playoffs and championship winner stuff, but towards the end of your time, you had Adkins come in and then halfway through the season, Steve Clark comes in and you must be dealing, you must, as a physio, have to kind of readjust your almost, uh, how, how much of your job do you have to readjust for a new manager? Yeah, I think the basics of the job are the basics of the job. You know, you've got to look after the players. They get injured. You you assess, you rehabilitate, you get them back on the pitch. And there's that sort of daily cycle of those things. So that 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 part of the job doesn't change you know, at all. It's it's the bit around the job, really. So, um, you know, I've always been, you know, hugely respectful of the managers that you work for. Um, and they sort of all set the rules in terms of, how they want it done. Um, I don't mean in terms of the day-to-day management of the players. I mean more in terms of the communication and 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 they'll have an opinion on how they want their players um, pushed or how how quickly they want those players pushed. Um, so you know, again, that's where having that alignment, you know, is it, tricky. So some people, so so Brian or Nigel would 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 want a lot of communication. They'd be happy. You know, we we you'd be in meetings together. Um, but other managers, you know, would want to keep the medical department more sort of distant from that side of it, um, which, which you know, completely respect on that side. But it's it can sometimes have an impact when the communication barrier or, or alignment isn't quite there. And I think that's when it, it, it can become a bit more sort of tricky on that side of it. Yeah, well, let's talk some players then. Um, and I'm, I mentioned, of, uh, I'm aware, obviously, there is kind of the confidentiality side of things. So you're kind of, you know, if, if whatever you can share would be great. But I'm aware, obviously, if there's any kind of details that you, uh, you're you very much allowed to be economical with the information that you share. But how is it dealing with um, with certain players then? Are there any players that stick out for you as, as really good to deal with that you really enjoyed on a kind of day-to-day basis? I think the majority of them, really, I think it's Reading. I mean, the, you know, the clubs I've worked at, Reading, Norwich, Watford, similar clubs, you know, that sort of bottom end Premier League, top end championship, not historically big spending clubs, accumulated sort of good players um, and good types. And um, I say the majority of players, you know, certainly at Reading, very good to work with that. The group that you come in with in 2007, you know, they've had a huge success at the club. Um, not a lot of them were brought in on 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 huge money to the club, and um, you know they were an excellent group to work with. And I think that really the basis of the club's success, actually, you know, in the certainly the first you know few years that I was at the club was was based on that. You know, get recruitment of not just good players but good people. You know, and, and having that sort of good playing staff is really important. So high level of professionalism, um, train train well. You know, when they're injured. Um, they would do the right things. Um, they would respond well to rehabilitation. They'd work hard on that side of it. Um, they would be open to the ideas that I brought in, you know, over the years in terms of injury prevention. And um, that was that was a sort of a hard thing to do because you're asking players to do things that they hadn't done previously. And um, but it took a you know it takes a while to evolve that system, but it worked well. Um, and again, that's sort of you know credit to the group of players that we had. But so many over the years, you know, good professionals. Um, you know each of those sort of groups and you know look at the sort of the captains the senior players in each of those groups so from sort of Ivar Ingemarsson you've got players like you know Joby McEnough um, Mikhail Ledgerwood there's, there's there's loads of them so so many sort of real good professionals but I have to say Mark the majority of them you know the vast majority you know are excellent professionals on that side uh, on that side of 
Yeah, for sure. So what, what sort of, um, as the job kind of evolved, then what sort of lifestyle changes were you asking to bring in? I mean, the less 3am nightclub trips before the game, before the, on the nights of games and stuff, yeah. or is it just as simple as kind <laughs> yeah. of nutrition? And Yeah, I, I think so. From my point of view, it was looking at the injury prevention side. Um, so the, the obviously the most prominent injuries in, in football, musculoskeletal injuries, muscle injuries, hamstring, quad, calf, groin, uh, ankle, knee ligament injuries. So we sort of looked at those and think, well, how can we be in a in a practical way, put together um, a, a sort of a preemptive rehabilitation program for the whole squad to be able to sort of do. And, um, and so we sort of put that in place bit by bit as the years went on. So it's things they do before training so we'd have them in groups working before training um working on sort of specific muscle strengthening exercises range of movement exercises um sort of joint control exercises balance exercises um and it, it, it is hard because even the modern day players at the time you know there's a bit of resistance to it it's you know you're, you're saying to a player we're putting these things in to try and reduce the prevalence or the incidence of cruciate ligament injuries or hamstring injuries and they'll say well i've never had that injury so you know why am i doing something to prevent an injury that i've never had which obviously doesn't mean to say they won't have it in the future um, but you do set yourself up for it because you then put an intervention in place to pre- prevent the hamstring injury and if you know, as, you know, player, it has no does. <laughs> Yeah, and then it's then so you set yourself up to sort of fail in some respects, but it doesn't work like that. And what you do is you audit each season, and um, we were able to sort of refine it as we went on. But our injury record was good. That's one of the you know proudest things over the years that um, you know the injury record is not always just a um, a result of the things you do because there's lots of other factors into it. But I think that we managed to sort of manage those things, and 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 well, who knows? But the prevention side of it, I think worked well you know from from that point of view yeah well, i was going through my research for this i was going through trying to think of the the kind of top injuries that i wanted to ask about top injury sounds weird doesn't it but the injuries to ask about and that it, there wasn't there weren't many and i can't i can't think of of injury crises you know these these things where i mean we'll talk a bit i do want to ask later on about the club these days but look back to those seasons and i think that was a big part of the success as well is that you know in that brian mcdermott team that won the championship you can count on one hand how many players had extended periods of time out and if that wouldn't have been the case you know if we'd have lost five or six key players then we probably wouldn't have got promoted so in that sense there must be a serious amount of of job satisfaction to come at the end and you think that you know other I think that Jem Karachan broke his ankle which ultimately obviously wasn't kind of your guys fault or anything so other than that I can't think of many serious injuries that really popped up that season. No, I think, I mean, like all these things, it's a, it's a group effort. So the players, you know, worked hard on what we were trying to do. The coaching staff provide an excellent sort of training program. You know, the manager is very aligned with his staff. So I think, and then obviously when you're winning games, that really helps. <laughs> so, you know, you, you I think this, it's a two-way, two-way road, that one. So definitely keeping players fit helps the team to perform well. But when the team are performing well and playing well and winning games, then, you know, it keeps people on the training ground and keeps people sort of moving along on that side of it. But but no, we weren't, we weren't too bad. Like you say, Jem had that injury. It was more a case of like the little niggles that you have to manage through the season. I think that was the hardest part. So, you know, there was a number of them. Jimmy Kebe would be a good example of someone who played pretty much every game. But you know you, there's always niggles to manage him just to get him through one week to another week but you know credit to him he, he had an excellent season and um you know he he ended up having surgery at the end of the season on on a on a tendon injury and came back fine after that but um he was he was one that needed management and the other one that i think i remember well was Mikhail Ledgerwood so in the same game that Jem injured 
injured his his um his ankle against um, Leeds in a, in a home game around Easter time. I think Mikel had quite a nasty knee injury, medial ligament injury in the same game. Had to go off, and um, you know we had to work very hard with him. And again, credit to, credit to him how hard he worked on his rehabilitation. And obviously, he was then able to come back and play sort of an important part at the end of that in, end of that season. So, um, so yeah. So I guess there is a certain amount of satisfaction for the, you know. Just for the for the achievement of the team, really, and and then to have some part in that was um, yeah, well, no, it was cool. Yeah, for sure. I, I wanted to ask about that Carachan injury as well, actually, because how is how much do you work on the kind of mental side with players then? Because Jim Carachan's a player who, I mean, obviously had a great time at Reading and stuff, but this was kind of the absolute peak of his career at that point. He was a young player, um, really nasty tackle and stuff, and I mean, you'd have. I presume you'd have got on the pitch and realised relatively yeah. quickly that it was what it was, and then how, and then you have to manage a player for several months without them playing, don't you? Yeah, so that that one was a poor tackle. I you know I remember it well. It was it was a really poor tackle in the game, and Ledgerwood, you know, in the same game, same same opposition player, you know, again another poor tackle. But um, yeah, Jem was unfortunate, broke his ankle at that stage. Obviously, that wrote his season out. But you know, tremendous how well he sort of recovered, how hard he worked because he came back and played sort of early part of the following season. So he was out in the off season, um, did his rehabilitation in the summer. Um, and then came back, you know, the following preseason, and actually played you know, a lot of games in the Premier League that 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 year, which was good. Um, he was obviously unfortunate because um, a couple of seasons later is when he injured his crucial ligament, and that was the big injury for him. Um, and um, and that was less straightforward. So his ankle, he, he rehabilitated remarkably well. The cruciate ligament injury was a much more serious injury, um, and then required surgery. And and so that was a tough one for him to come back from. But again, you know, give him an enormous amount of credit. He would have been through a tough time as a young, well, as a as a as a player of the club at that stage. But um, but yeah, he managed to get himself through it and then sort of come back out the other end. Yeah, for sure. And he he's a player actually that I hear or have heard in the past is is one of the fittest players at the club and generally speaking. And what what players have you found over the years that were really fit and just ready to go and, you know, could run a marathon every day sort of thing? <laughs> well, he could run for sure. No doubt about that. That was one of his big attributes. Um, I, th- I you know, Chris Gunter is a good example of someone who's durable, robust player, can, can, um, you know, can run all day and, um, you know, incredible amount of games. I mean, obviously, you know, held the Welsh record for amount of appearances, but every club he plays at, you know, he's, he can play 50, 60 games a year. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he did that through Reading and, and he'd train every day. His outputs in training would be <laughs> the top outputs every day. If you put him on a 10K race, you know, he would win. He could do that every day. And, a clock a good time so you know he was good but yeah I mean different athletes in different ways so you know some are quicker so Jimmy Kebe a good example so you know sprint athlete but he could run all day um and then you know there are plenty of others over there James Harper you know run all day but you've got other athletes you know who are at the top end of it so Shane Long you know in terms of his speed his ability but particularly obviously obviously his first time at the club so you know there's all sorts of different players with different abilities and nowadays they can all run. I mean, I think that's probably the biggest difference to sort of in the, the 90s where, you know, they they were sort of slightly different shapes. All the players now, to be competitive now, you have to be able to run. That's an, you know, an integral part of the game. Yeah, how is it with a player? I mean, a player that just popped into my mind then was Matthew Manset, who was a an absolute unit as a, as a player. Do they? Is it true that those sort of players who are, you know, 
six foot three or so, big stocky lads, are they more vulnerable to the injuries that, you know, of like the ligament and stuff compared, because they are ultimately carrying around a, a big amount of, of body muscle and stuff? Yeah, no, the sort of research will tell you no. Um, the main two predictors of injury are age and having had previous injury. So if you've had a previous hamstring injury, you are more likely to have another hamstring injury than, than the next person. Same if you've had a cruciate ligament injury. Um, and older players will generally pick up more injuries and recover slightly less quickly than younger players. But it in terms of size, no. So I got asked for an article for a for a, for a newspaper about um, Haaland when he came across this country from 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 Germany about his injury risk, and same question was asked actually about his size and and things. But there isn't good evidence to suggest that if you're a particular body shape, big or small, that you'll have more injuries. I'm sure there's a genetic component to it. Some players have a have a slight genetic predisposition, but in terms of the research, pre previous injury and age are the biggest two determinants of of future injury. Yeah, and one player who was older when he came to the club was Jason Roberts, and he had a, a massive impact, obviously, when he came in, helped win the championship. The Premier League season was a bit trickier, though, and I wonder from your perspective, because you would have worked a lot with him in terms of getting him fit and stuff, and it felt like there was kind of setback after setback, and the age factor obviously would have been a big component of that. But how was it working with Jason, who, again, I would feel like is such a professional, but it just didn't kind of, it just ultimately didn't work out, did it? Yeah, I mean, like you say, he had a brilliant impact when he first came. But I was just reading the other day that I saw it was his 45th birthday, which which made me feel old. So he would have been sort of must have been 35 when we signed him at the club. Yeah, 35 yeah, yeah. at that age is, you know, that's coming towards the end of a, of a player's career. And, um, you know, we had a brilliant half a season out of him. And you're right, the Premier League season was, was tricky. Um, he got injured. Uh, in a game, I remember away at Southampton, hip injury, and um, he just, yeah, he struggled to get back fit after that. It was, it was something that he was sort of a bit in and out with after that, and never really could make that that full recovery. And, and again, that's what led to him sort of um, finishing his career. Yeah, which wasn't, I guess, wasn't a huge surprise. One story which is, I think that maybe fans who don't, who are a bit younger, maybe and haven't supported the club quite as long, but. I remember it being at the time a, a really, it was a really sad story. Well, ultimately, it was Chris Armstrong, a player who was, you know, an absolute brilliant left back and everything and, and ended up being diagnosed with MS. And um, you, were you in, how involved with all that were you? And, and how was that to deal with for a footballer? Yeah. Because it's not really, it's not an injury, is it? Yeah. No. So I, I remember it was a Saturday morning at the club and, um, we were, tra- we were training. I, don't know, I can't remember why why there wasn't a game, but it was a Saturday morning at the club, and he came into treatment room. And just said, "Don't feel quite right." Slightly strange the symptoms that he represented. You know, we, we were very strange, and so we got the doctor involved and said, "Look, what do you think?" And okay, we need to get him checked out. And then, you know, you go through this process and quite quickly realise that you no, know, he isn't he isn't quite right. And we had the diagnosis of of MS. Um, which was a huge thing. I think it was either the year before, I think he was the player of the season, um, you know, player, player of the season, the year before, yeah, the year yeah, before yeah. that. And, um, you know, all of a sudden you've got gone from a player who's, you know, who's your sort of first choice fullback um, to someone who was in a very bad way. I mean, I think anyone who would have been around him at the club would have seen, you know, him, he was a, a shadow of a professional football player, um, was, you know, was in a really, really bad way. And we weren't quite sure what his... Um, what his sort of future was going to hold, but um, he started, you know, some 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 treatment, and um, bit by bit, he sort of got himself a bit better. Um, and I can remember coming into the the club in the summer, and like you know, saying to him, "What what you know, what do you think? What's your, what's your thoughts?" And he said, "Well, I want to play," you know. So 
So, okay, well, and I remember, you know, we went outside on the grass and um, uh, we did our rehabilitation and, you know, it was like, you know, it, it was like training with a sort of an under an under seven, you know, someone who struggled to kick the ball or couldn't really balance properly or couldn't, you know, kick, you know, do two keep ups on the, on the road and thinking this is going to be, you know, this is going to be tough. And we sort of did it out the way of all the rest of the group and, you know, out the eyes of anyone else and, and just went through it and just week by week, you know, suddenly, you know, he can do 10, 15 keep up, keep, uh, keep ups. And then suddenly, you know, he can start to pass the ball better and he can run better and he can start, you know, put together some, and, you know, he just worked at it. He just kept going and kept working and bit by bit, he managed to, you know, go through the layers, got himself back into training with the group, trained, trained well, got himself back into the team. <laughs> you know played some games and um it was remarkable he, you know, he did you know he did well and he was, just, he, he was sort of you know did remarkably well but obviously it's tough you know he, the diagnosis doesn't go away even though you're better and you're you know you're you're managing yourself better it's not it's not it's not solved it's not it's not like an injury where you're cured so you're having to sort of manage that and um and i think you know had to take a dis, uh, decision at the end of the season whether he was going to carry on playing or, or or retire and obviously there's some financial implications both way on that side of it so um he made a decision he, he he played some 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 lower league non-league football afterwards he went um back home obviously from the Sunderland area but um but no he's you know it was it was uh an incredible story really for him to be go from where he was to get back into the team and play play games in the team was 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 remarkable and you know such a strong character uh very unassuming very quiet um but an incredible inner strength you know that that, that he had and um so yeah it was it was a remarkable story yeah, for sure. It's it's a, such a unique one as well, and it's almost one. I almost feel like it's one that I kind of want to hear about how he's getting on these days as well. I don't know if you're. Did no, you keep really, in touch with these players at all? Yeah, much, not, not, not not recently. Not 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 recently with Chris actually, but yeah, with nowadays. I mean, it was good obviously last year to have the game, uh, the sort of anniversary game at the stadium. I mean, that was brilliant to see sort of both sets of, of of lads that you know I'd worked with and it was such a fantastic day you know it was, I think the players loved it you know they saw their all their old teammates again and you know it was that 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 was fantastic um, and again nowadays with social media you sort of um you know you, you you're sort of half in touch with these sort of people and um we 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 run a, a clinic a sports injury clinic in in Reading now so um you know we still have these people coming in from time to time as well. So yeah, no, it's it's always good to sort of um speak to these these, these boys from, from from the old days. Yeah, for sure. And how was it with the uh with winning the championship then as your memories of the of the game against Nottingham Forest when we uh when we got promoted and then you know the the kind of weird scenario that we actually won the championship having drawn earlier in the day and stuff. How was it as as you know I've asked earlier about being kind of integrated it with integrated with everything and we on in terms of like the open top bus tour and everything. Would you would you hop on the bus? We obviously yeah. can't remember who exactly was on the. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, I, I, the the Knotts Forest game was obviously it was a you know special evening. Um, and partly this is the nature of the job. I remember I had to be in London the following day. Jimmy Kebe had an appointment in London the following day. I think it was like eight o'clock in London. So we had to see a, a specialist then. So, you know, you've always got one thing, you know, going on after another. And um, I know, I, I think that season, you know, it was an incredible achievement for the, for the football club, for the players, the manager, the staff. I mean, you know, it was it was absolutely fantastic. And you can enjoy that. We we went to Marbella. We had a trip to Marbella as, as players and staff afterwards. And, you know, it, but it but what it was, was exhausting. You get to the end of the season and, um, 
I, I don't, you know, if you look back on it, how much you actually enjoy it, because the game, you know, it's it's a it's a very stressful period over a long period of time, no matter what your job is at the club, because you're constantly trying to, you know, keep work with players to have them fit to play games, and all those games are big pressure games. You know, they're, they're enjoyable to look back on them. You know, those fantastic wins against West Ham and Southampton and Brighton and Notts Forest. All these games, you know, were fantastic victories. But the build-up to them the week before, you know, the build-up on the day, the game, they're, <laughs> they're quite sort of sh- stressful. And once you then get over the line, you know, with the Notts Forest game and the season's finished, you know, you're, you're sort of exhausted, really, on that side of it. So it's a relief to have, have achieved what the, what the club has achieved. And, and then you sort of move on. And before you know it, you're back in pre-season and you're, you're straight into it uh, but the yeah no the open top bus was good I my just memory of that is just getting soaked it was <laughs> yeah it was it rained, wet. it rained and rained and rained and was wet but but I mean this is very lucky to be you know part of something like that you know to be to, you know enjoy the success that the clubs had and to be sitting on a or on the top of an open top bus was um was a brilliant you know memory for me be loud and be proud and back the boys and make some noise come on you ours shout out to this week's podcast sponsor zcz films showing that age is no barrier to being a hooli hoop welcome back then to the tarlison podcast our interview with the former reading fitness guru luke anthony just before the break we were talking about having players back over pre-season and stuff and it made me think about the summers and it's kind of a bit of a a bit of a cliche in a way but the old worry of players coming back after their summer and maybe they've enjoyed themselves a little bit too much over the uh the summer period and they come back a bit uh hefty shall we say is uh that, that been a is that really a big problem for you guys or is, is there occasions it has happened to you no not not really again you know when I first started back in in the 90s it was slightly different players had a bit longer off um they were a little bit less structured in their off season and you'd have to spend the first few weeks of pre-season really getting <laughs> getting them fit and then you know some of them losing some some excess weight nowadays not really the case the players I think the off seasons are, are less um and they're much more structured and players have plans to work to and and and, and players know they need to come back fit so you'll test on day one of pre-season um and then they're pretty much straight into it so football work training starts that week um and then they'll play games within sort of 10 days seven ten days so um there is no real capacity for someone to come back and require 10 days two weeks to get fit or to lose weight that just you know they'll be so far behind at that stage so so yeah so you that that's not really the sort of the, the, the case nowadays certainly in sort of the professional game yeah that's good to hear yeah there is still I'm aware that there is still the post-game pizza floating about in certain yeah. clubs and everything and that always that's one that fans always like hmm, is that really like good or yeah, I, I, yeah. From a nutrition point of view, having some form of sustenance after a game is, you know, is is important to do that quite quickly. Um, but it's funny. I think I think one of the things over the years is um, when you in a football club, you know, environment, you spend a lot of time together, and you know, both training ground in the week, bus journeys, hotels, games. And especially if you play midweek games, you know, if you, and if the food's the same and it's sort of particularly bland, it, it it can be sort of hard work. And one of the things I think that you know, particularly a club like Reading is meal times are a good time to sort of bond people together. So, you know, I've been in hotels where, you know, players will eat at whatever seven o'clock and the food's a bit bland and maybe the 
culture of the team isn't quite so together and everyone sort of eats and then they'll leave and they'll be back in their rooms on their own or whatever sort of half seven quarter to eight where you know other places if you sort of you know they're nutritiously and healthily but gives them a bit of i don't know you know ice cream apple crumble ice cream for dessert and, and a few little little treats afterwards and you know that helps just little things like that help to keep the boys together and they'll end up you know spending a bit longer eating together you'll put the football on in the evening they'll watch the game and so i think having you know a little bit of balance to it really you 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 gain more than you lose by you know theoretically an extra little bit of fat or sugar content temporarily yeah for sure and it makes me think of the uh one reading tradition that i think is still alive today and i'm pretty sure was alive when you well, there was the uh, the first away day karaoke in front of all the squad. And I wonder, did you have to do that? Did that apply to the physios? Um, so not really in my time, but yeah, it's it's a, it's a horrific moment when, when you know, a player has to sort of uh, stand up and sort of sing on his first, uh, first game. I, I, I don't know if that still goes on now, but it has, uh, yeah, it's been interesting. Broken a few people over the years, that has. Who have you seen that was particularly good or bad? Um, I remember Wayne Bridge was particularly good. He did a version of his his wife, obviously in the Saturdays, and he yeah, did a yeah. version of of the Saturdays. Um, and I remember, you know, Matthew Connolly. He's a introverted sort of person, lovely guy. Um, but it just you know horrendous having to sort of for someone like him having to you know stand up in front of a group. So, um, but but yeah, generally most of the boys will sort of embrace it and and, and have a bit of a go. There's n- not that much sort of singing talent out there, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, no hidden stars are there. I was wondering as well in terms of, I mean, these 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 are kind of things that I guess must happen quite rarely, or maybe even not at all, as you'll say, maybe say. But um, how how many times did you kind of run on a pitch to to deal with the player, maybe late in a game? And you kind of get to them and you realise, I don't know at what point you realise, but they are ultimately just down to waste time. And you kind of get there and you think, is this an injury? You know, what what kind of goes through your mind in that moment? Yeah, I think when you've watched so many games, that pitch side for, you know, literally a thousand games, you sort of know when you're watching the game, you you have a good idea of what's serious and, and potentially serious and what isn't. Um, so again, having worked in rugby, you know, you have done done three seasons in the Premier League in rugby, you sort of see that's what what's what's serious and um you know what when you see what passes for requiring potential medical treatment in football versus rugby is it's, it's very different for, for the majority of cases. But um uh, you know, uh, yeah, I see it now. I see it as a, when I'm watching it on TV or I'm watching it in a stadium and you know that this is generally something that is just a time-wasting tactic on that side of it. Uh, I guess that's for the club to sort out. I, certain managers would be sometimes keen for you to run on, sometimes less keen for you to run on, you know, in situations. Um, and and it's one of the sort of the harder, sort of more nuanced parts of the job in terms of running onto the pitch because yeah. obviously when you treat a player and the player has to come off and if you're about to defend a corner and your centre half has just gone off the pitch and that's not ideal so you have to realise that you have to give the player every chance to not go on you know for you not to have to go on the pitch so that he can stay on to you know to to, to defend and there are other circumstances where a manager will be keen for you to go on because of, you know to slow the game down and, and that um, so I you know I always say to a manager it's not that's not my my job isn't to win you the game from that point of view or you know if you have to play with 10 men because we've got an injured player that's that's really for the, the team and the manager to sort out um 
And I think you're on dangerous ground once you start, you know, getting medical staff involved in tactical things like that. To, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a sort of a, not a good area to be in from that point of view. But I, to be honest with you, the, the majority of managers, you know, work with very good on that side of it. Um, and but yeah, but it but it goes on it goes on all the time. And uh, I say sometimes you just got to be you know the nuance of if a player is coming off and you know you need the substitute to give him time to be able to come on the pitch. So you may have to take an extra thirty seconds or whatever and deal with something on the pitch. So you know that that happens for sure, and that's that's part of it. That 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 nuance is part of it. But in terms of just deliberately wasting time. I'm certainly not a fan of it. I mean, I watch it on TV and it drives me mad watching it. So. <laughs> yeah, as a fan. I'm not a fan of that. No, nah, for sure. My own, the only other question I've got of this nature that is perhaps a slightly less serious question is, did you ever have a player come in, um, and I mean, this is obviously through your entire career as well as Reading, come in, you know, 8am on a Thursday or whatever, um, you know, starting training and they come in, they say... I'm, I'm a little bit hungover. Have you got something that can pet me up a little bit for training? Um, I, I have had it with the players once at Reading. I have to say, and then, and then once before at a previous club. It's not. It's not a common thing. You know, that's not a common thing, and that's something that is. Um, uh, you know, we, we sort of joke about it now, but that's just, that's that's an issue. So that's yeah, an issue yeah. that you have to deal with as as, as a for, for a number of reasons. One is, you know, what what's going on and what's the background to that as well. And you know, these days most players aren't big drinkers or aren't really. It's a much different alcohol culture compared to, to how it was in the in the nineties, for sure. Um, so, but no, that 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 isn't really um, that isn't really a, a you know a big thing for sure. There is, I mean, uh, as speaking to a medical person, not that this is interesting personally, but I guess there isn't really a cure for a hangover that can get you going that quickly, is there? No, not really. The only cure is not to uh, not to indulge in the first place. So, but no. prevention. <laughs> yeah, suck it up and get on with it. Lovely. Well, yeah. Last couple of questions, then, because I know you left um, left the club in. 2015 kind of at the end of the season and Steve Clark was in charge what were the circumstances around that was that your decision was that something that you know you wanted to after quite a few years at the club you wanted to experience something else you went to Norwich did they kind of come to you and say you know let's have a because they, they would have been in the Premier League then I think yeah yeah um so now I was it was a manager's decision for for me um to leave um, at the end of that season uh, I was one of a number of um, changes that that he sort of um, made himself um I, I, it was tough actually it was it was a tough time of, you know been at the club for eight years um you know one thing you can sort of be proud of as a physio is um you know it's for other people to judge how good you are but we worked hard you know day in day out I think we consistent through that period of time and um you know it's it's tough but the, the, the job of as a physiotherapist at the club you are you know you're at the beck and call of, of the football club so you get a call on a Sunday morning it's your day off but but it's a Sunday morning. There's a player who you know needs something. Then you you have to go in. You have to attend to that player so that you can report back to the manager. So on Monday morning, and you know you you have to sacrifice a lot. You just can't plan anything. It can be off season. You know I've I've had to come back early from holidays to do medicals on players. Um, you, you know you it, it is it's a it's a it's a big commitment. It's a fantastic job. I mean it's you know an absolute you know a privilege to work in professional sport and to work at the clubs that I've worked for. So you do it willingly and, um, 
you know, as I said, I don't for a minute take it for granted. It's such a privilege to to, to have done the job as I've done. But it is it, it 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 is a hard job. And I think when you at the end of it, when someone says, "Well, look, actually, you know, we're making some changes, and that's the end of you," then that's that that's a hard thing to sort of take at that stage. Um, so and then I so I so I left the club then in the summer and then like you said Norwich were in the Premier League they got promoted the previous season and then um, I was contacted by someone to say do you want to come into the club um, they were looking at setting up some injury prevention stuff and I'd obviously been involved in that as part of my time at Reading and so that was really my job at, at Norwich City was to sort of um, sort of develop their injury prevention strategy and um, work with the first team on that. And um, no, it's a good, brilliant club. Um, we ended up getting relegated, but it was a brilliant experience. And um, no, I had I had had a really enjoyable um, few seasons up at, at Norwich. Yeah, and I suppose that links into now the fact that you're on the you're, you're a bit more than nine to five now, isn't it? With going perform back in Reading. <laughs> so. Yeah, you think so? It, it, there's certainly a little bit more sort of control of it. We set the company up after after we left after I left Norwich and uh, with my my colleague from 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 Reading um who left at a similar time Dan Buchanan so um I, I, it's good yeah I, it's, I, I wanted something that was gonna maybe not resemble the job that we we've done previously but to have the facility and to have the people around and to be able to offer that to the general public as well as sports people and professionals and um yeah I mean it's, it's hard work but it's in a different way and certainly have I, I guess a degree of control over it and very quickly worked out that actually having weekends off is such a brilliant thing so be able to finish work on a friday and not have to work till the mondays was having done that for 20 odd years christmas day boxing day holidays it's yeah it's been fantastic from that point of view hard work but fantastic from that point of view oh definitely and uh so as, as you're saying go to the still go to the club and everything these days as a fan and what what have you made of, of recent kind of specifically the injury side of things because reading have had I mean, a really tumultuous time of it in the last couple of seasons, particularly last season with the injuries. Do you kind of sit there and think, oh, maybe they're doing this or that? Because, you know, some of them, it feels like, I think Yaku Mates was a bit of a freak injury from what I heard with his knee. But then there were lots of players just kind of dropping out of quite consistently. Yeah, I, I think it's always difficult to have opinions from outside of it. I know from when you're in within the club, it's, you know, the only people who really know what's going on are the people who are sort of directly involved with it. But what I would say is that I think once you have a number of injuries, if you have three, then four, then five, then six, then you can, medical departments like any other department can get a little bit overwhelmed by that. And rather than having lots of attention around just one or two of the injuries that you can really focus on and get back, if you're suddenly faced with seven, eight or nine or 10, you have to share your time around for that. And then when, you know, someone who's playing has maybe got a little knock they're trying to carry, they don't quite get the attention just because there isn't the time, you know, to, to deal with that with a small medical department. So that's why you see these clusters of injuries. And then obviously, you know, uh, the whole club, everyone wants these players back. They can sometimes get forced back. Then that's when you re you know, you, you endanger re-injuring, and it becomes a bit of a, a sort of a, a negative cycle. And but there's lots of factors to it, Mark. You know, in terms of the players you recruit, when you recruit them, what's their injury history like? What's their age like? What's their sort of you know their background like? So you you know you you can as we talked about earlier actually sort of predict these things. And if you assemble a squad of players who are slightly older with a slightly you know, injury history, then you add an acute injury at the beginning of that, like you say, Mate at the beginning of that, that's going to be a season out. Um, you can accumulate an injury list quite quite quickly on that side of it. So I think there are a number of factors. One one of the things actually is when 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 I did did leave, 
um, the thing that we talked about, the injury prevention sort of program that we put in place was sort of got rid of pretty much straight after. Um, so that was something that we had to uh, spend a lot of time working on to achieve, you know, good buy-in from the players. Um, and and that sort of went out the back. So that was a disappointment, you know, that I'd heard that 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 side of it had changed because I think that you know obviously makes it makes a difference. That's certainly my sort of belief on on there. Um, but but no, it's difficult to make to make a sort of an opinion from the outside is is very difficult because I think all these things there's lots of factors sort of involved with that side of it. I think people always look at the medical department, but I know you know the medical side there they've got very good staff involved and. So I think you know there's there's, there's lots of factors um, you know to be to be had around it. Yeah, for sure. And last question then, as you know, Gurners fan, what do you make of the the team and everything at the moment? The kind of prospects for the club on the pitch moving forward. Um, yeah, look, I think over the years it's been a bit of a lean time for the club. Um, I, there are issues you know around the football club, but from uh, there have been over you know over the last sort of best part of a decade really in terms of ownership and the, the model of the club has changed a lot you know when I the club that I went into in 2007 had a, an owner director of football manager very streamlined um, never spent big transfer um, um, deals but would make the best out of the players they got recruited phenomenally well made the best of those players sold them at the top of the market um, and ran a very good football club from that point of view with a, with a lot of success. Um, and I think you do live and die by your recruitment to a certain extent. And I think that's been, you know, the club has made lots of mistakes from, from what it looks like from the outside. Um, and I think that's cost them. And I think they've, they seem to have stabilised this year. Um, but I, yeah, I, there, there, there's this constant battle against relegation where everyone will say, just need to stay up, need to stay up. It leads to a lot of short-term thinking. You know, you saturate your players with loan players, short-term deals older players and you go you lurch from season to season and at some stage you know you need to look at what you've got and get back to a system where you recruit well you know you get your academy players coming through a bit like they've done in the in the, in the past and play a certain way which is progressive so i think yeah i mean they seem to have stabilized this year but um i think they've got some you know there's there's still some way to go to get back to to close to the club that they were you know in the last sort of decade yeah, no, I think that's absolutely fair. And I think certainly links towards the injury stuff as well when you're signing players like Sam Hutchinson and, and Scott Dan, who have had big issues recently and then obviously continue to uh, continue to struggle, don't they? So that's just uh, just how it is. But um, no, honestly, Luke, genuinely really um, fascinating chat to have you on. So so good as well to talk about a lot of memories and uh, to get some insight into things that certainly the fans don't always um, don't always get the insight on at the time. So no, thank you very much for coming on. No, my pleasure. Thanks very much for inviting me. Keep up to date with all things Reading FC. Follow the Tilehurst End on Facebook and Twitter. This podcast is proudly sponsored by ZCZ Films. Remember, if you want to get involved in sponsoring the show, drop us an email to thetilehurstend at gmail.com.